Welcome to Pull Up a Chair. I'm Bina Mehta, the chair of KPMG in the UK. And in each episode, I'll be chatting to some of the world's most influential business leaders and thinkers around sustainable growth, what it means to them and why it matters. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Claire Barclay, the chief executive of Microsoft UK. With nearly three decades in the IT industry, Claire has a deep passion for diversity and inclusion and for helping young people succeed in tech careers across the sector. Claire will be sharing her views on the UK's digital skills gap, how technology can help us address the climate emergency, what AI will and won't replace, and what the future of work looks like. Claire Barclay, please pull up a chair. Welcome, Claire, to the podcast. Lovely to have you on here today. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for asking me. Absolute pleasure to have you. Um, look, you've had an incredible career in the IT industry for over three decades. You've seen how technology's, you know, really evolved in how we work, our daily lives, and also how technology's been really used to develop some of the solutions for these really difficult, complex problems we're facing into. So before we sort of start to explore that a little bit more, can I ask you, what does sustainable growth mean to you? Well, I mean, the, the, the opportunity around growth and sustainability and sustainable growth has changed rapidly over the time that I've worked in business and industry, and I'm sure you've seen that too, Bina. But growth, for me, is about how do you, not just how do you think about, you know, what growth or share or uh, contribution means for a company from a revenue standpoint. It also means how does growth uh, represent the impact uh, globally or to an economy. And the word sustainable is actually the bit that I'd sort of underline. You know, as a company that has a mission about empowering every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more, often when I'm talking uh, to customers or to governments or to clients, I underline two words in it. I underline every and I underline planet. <laughs> Because it's, you know, and actually that, that mission has changed over time because you might sort of just think about it as every, but actually if you're really thinking about inclusive every, um, every person on the planet, that's quite a big audacious platform to, um, to be able to kind of live the values of sustainable growth. So um, as a company with those values and living up to that mission for the, for the employees of the UK, uh, that's what I think about. I think that's a really lovely way of articulating the every and the planet. And we talk about sort of, you know, the uh, the sustainable growth that delivers for people, planet and profits, which you're kind of, do you think that it's actually possible to deliver all three? Yeah, it does, but it doesn't happen just by accident. It happens uh, with leadership purpose. So you have to think, um, and I'm sure Bina, you, you experience this at KPMG too. You, you know, you, you've got multi-vectors to be able to deliver on uh, for your shareholders, for your people, for, for your clients, and for, you know, certainly for the contribution I have on delivering that mission uh, for Microsoft in the UK. And so <clears throat> you have to think about every day how you're balancing that and you're having to have purpose around um, inclusion, purpose around sustainability, and purpose around actually how you achieve uh, your business goals and business outcomes. Because if I think about how the mission for Microsoft plays out, you know, sometimes you might think, oh, it's just a mission. But I think we use it like as a guiding principle that says, how do you deliver on that growth ambition and if it's, if it's an ambition that might achieve a business goal but doesn't achieve the mission, we often think actually then maybe that's not an area to invest in or maybe that's not a thing to do. And we also want to be a company that actually delivers sustainable growth by providing a platform to others uh, to be able to uh, expand their mission of sustainable growth. So if we're thinking about clients that we're working with, are we providing a platform 
uh, for partnership that they can then use the technology to enable them to achieve their aspirations and goals, whether that be measuring sustainability, whether that be innovating um, to reach new clients, etc. So I think it's a, we try and make it as, as inclusive as possible and provide a platform for others to be able to build on that. I just want to turn to technology just quickly because techno everything you've talked about is the role of Microsoft and technology. But actually, if you step back, what is the role of technology? in delivering sustainable growth. And sustainable growth isn't just about profits, it's about you know, people, customers, suppliers, et cetera. Do you have a sense of, you know, how would you articulate that? Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, if you think in the uh, three decades I've been in business, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Bina, like the world has like literally turned on its head, it's changed. If I think about, um, you know, what the world was like when I was coming into business and what, you know, how we operated for everything from sort of email to social media to yeah. use of data. I mean, it was just like a completely different world. And if I think about the role that technology plays, whether that be measuring sustainable outcomes, um, thinking about how data will literally uh, transform people's choices in life. So whether you think about things like healthcare, um, I was with um, a leading London hospital the other day thinking about not just some of the challenges they face of dealing with waiting lists and terrible administration they have to deal with. They're also thinking about how things like AI will solve really big healthcare problems like cancer in the future. So, you know, you've got this juxtaposition of like, routine operational stuff compared to like yeah. transformational stuff and that's just sort of one hospital um, <clears throat> I think if you think of uh, technology as a platform one of the things I'm proud of actually for the work that we do is actually technology has played a really important role of making society in my opinion much more inclusive uh, but again it's about how you choose to use it um, and, and I'm sure we'll get onto some of that as, as we go through but you know if you think about um, people um, uh, with that grow up uh, through school with dyslexia, if you think about um, people that may have um, uh, uh, some form of blindness, you know, they probably would have existed in a world where it was hard to learn, hard to see, and they didn't feel included in society. And there's so many technologies now that are just served up to them that means that they're, they're able to learn right, uh, well if they're um, a child with dyslexia through very simple things, add-ons in teams, add-ons add -ons in office that just make it much easier for them to learn. Uh, and recently we did a partnership with um, Halion, you know, the, the, the company from, that was with GSK. Um, and we've done a really cool application with them um, with a, an application that we've developed called Seeing AI. So if you were going into a pharmacy in order to identify a, a drug that you needed to get, and you were blind or partially sighted, it will tell you automatically what the labels are so you know you're picking the right drugs. So things like that just is, means that technology is providing a way that companies can grow, but companies can do that in a really inclusive way to make sure that they're, they're serving uh, all forms of society. Yeah, absolutely. It gives, it gives people access to things that wouldn't have been you know, accessible for, you know, when I was growing up. No, they, you've been there looking at the yeah, label. Yeah, or, or asking do. somebody else that's to read right, it. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, so you've, we've talked about the growth in tech, and it's not just about large organisations like yourself and Microsoft, but it's also this army of disruptors um, that are, you know, trying to fill these needs that you've some of the things you've articulated. And as we as we know, innovation is absolutely key to the growth of the UK economy, mm. and it has been a very important part of how we see the growth coming through. Um, but from the outside, 
it feels like Microsoft is really in its ascendancy right now. And I just wondered, I mean, you've talked a little bit about what's driving that, but I just wondered if you would be able to share, what is it that you feel really optimistic about? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot I feel optimistic at right now. I mean, I guess one of the things of working for a, um, a large uh, tech innovator like Microsoft is you get to see like all the spectrums of the things that are sort of like early ideas to um, things that um, come uh, come to the forefront. And, um, um, you know, I'm sure, um, Bina, many of you won't have missed that there's been a wave of uh, innovation around um, AI. But if you think actually that's, although it's got um, good news prominence right now, that's not like a new topic. Yeah. Um, I think the investment that we made into uh, AI and our partnership with OpenAI goes back uh, goes back some years. Um, but if I think of, if I take a step back before I perhaps talk about that topic around what is it that's driving, um, you know, what is it that drives us and what is it that's driving sort of growth and opportunity? You know, one of the things through the mission that I talked about earlier on that, that, that we have focused on as we've changed as a company, because I think Microsoft itself has been through quite a significant cultural transformation and a transformation in the way that we operate. You know, many of you, many, uh, many, people watching may remember the sort of early iteration of Microsoft and our original uh, mission, which perhaps is worth referencing on, was a PC on every desk and in every home. So it was a very like, um, it's a thing on a thing on a thing, yeah. you know? Um, and there are not many companies that sort of achieve their mission and go, yep, check, yeah, we got that. Um, <clears throat> so it was really about uh, when Satya Nadella joined, uh, uh, was appointed as the CEO eight or nine years ago now, it, it went back to kind of like, well, why does Microsoft exist and what's our existential purpose? And that was where, uh, where the new mission, uh, where the new mission came from. So. One of the things we changed in the cultural change of Microsoft was around, rather than sort of being a product company that was focused on growth, we tried to think about being um, a platform company that's focused on the needs of customers. And if you can provide the right technology and innovation to them, that in itself, um, that in itself will drive growth. Uh, an opportunity. And we have a, a view that says for every market that we're in, how do we almost create a surplus of wealth and opportunity in those markets and inclusion for everybody uh, by us being present in that market. Um, and I went back to sort of living on, on the mission that we, um, that we go after. Um, and so <clears throat> that in itself means that we get to do some amazing things with governments, with small businesses, with startups, with innovators that use that platform of innovation um, in order to go after that. So it kind of makes it, you know, certainly leading the UK, you get to sort of play around in lots of different areas with the largest, most innovative of companies. You get to play with the startups, you get yeah. to partner with amazing companies like KPMG, et cetera, in order to, in order to go and do that. Um, but if I think about the, the where the growth itself is coming from, um, you know, we've seen a huge shift of companies moving to the cloud. And if you think of that as providing a platform for innovation, and why are they doing that? They're moving there because they want something that gives them protection from security. We've obviously seen massive um, rise um, uh, in cybercrime. Um, so I think the risk of cyber threat is one of them. Um, the other area is, um, you know, innovation that they will get through um, what you have when you're when you have all of your data and assets in the cloud, and data probably is something that um, every organisation is thinking. Well, how how am I going to make the most of that data, um, so that I can think about innovating for my employees, innovating in new product lines, um, innovating in partnerships, etc. So they can think about how to bring all of that data, uh, all of that data together. <clears throat> New ways of work, um, you know, many of us are working in really, really different ways 
um, to what we did pre-COVID. And that means a different form of collaboration uh, with people. So that area of sort of new way of working uh, and collaboration is really important. Um, and then the one I started on, which is this sort of advent of artificial intelligence um, and generative AI. Um, and that one, I mean, we could have a whole podcast on its own on that. Um, but that one, uh, think of the waves of innovation that we've had. You had the, the PC era, you had the internet generation era, you had the mobile phone era, the rise of the social media companies, et cetera. Um, in our opinion, this is we are on the cusp of the next massive wave of innovation um, that will come, that will literally transform the way societies work, the way businesses operate, yeah. the way jobs will be created in the future. Um, and as a result of that, it's a super exciting time to be in this industry. I think you're absolutely right. Everything you've just said is quite exciting, but all the great, there's also the other side of it. And you just you, you alluded to some of the threats and some of the, the challenges that businesses have today, which wouldn't have necessarily existed pre pre technology. Um, and so I just wanted to pick up on that. You talked about AI and, I, and every every peer I speak to talks about the importance of data. Yes. And AI in in managing and using that data to, Im to impact for the positive, right? Um, and on in terms of data and AI, I've got a question for you. How do you sort of see the ethics around AI? It's, um, it's one of the most important and responsible leadership uh, lessons of our time, if you think about it. And actually the decisions that companies like Microsoft and others take as we go through this big wave of innovation uh, will be very important. And I think it's been a topic that probably for the last five years, we have pushed um, very strong uh, AI ethic frameworks. Um, and that's everything from, you know, how you think about uh, ethics by design in the way that you build your products, how you think about pushing for the right uh, regulation, how you think about the traceability of it, mm -hmm. um, how you think about the tracking of it, et cetera, and, and what use cases because uh, it, it's not just the technology itself, it's actually how others, how? how others will use the technology. So I think we also push for uh, regulation on the, on the use cases um, of that. So I think that the, you know, making sure that we have the frameworks and thinking about how that will become a global framework, because if you think about how this technology will rise, it won't just be what the UK and the UK government do, it will be what happens in China or what happens in the US and, and other countries. So I think we're gonna have to really think um, how that's all gonna come together and make sure that the, the way that uh, technology innovates and the use cases and how this gets built sets the right framework for creating a more inclusive society um, going forwards. And I, I, I do believe in terms of some of the innovations that you will have seen, you know, the announcement on this notion called Copilot that's gonna get innovated onto all of the office products. So think of Copilot as being someone that's just with you, being you know, like with you every part of your day in order to help you get your job done. So if you're a business leader, you know, it might think about how you could do a draft of a response to an email uh, that you could do. And you might not think that's perfect, but if you were going to send it to me and it's already given you half a draft, then that would actually get you started and would make you more productive in your day. Um, if you're a developer and you know how many, um, how much skills challenges we, we face in terms of um, shortage of uh, technical and IT people, you know, there's also a co-pilot for the developers so that it means that they can be more effective and all the logging and scripting that developers hate to do it will get done for them. But you know, you want to make sure that that's done in a really compliant, ethical and secure framework. Because if, you know, if you think of KPMG and all of your 
wonderful client data, you you wouldn't want that getting out um, yeah. and you know your proprietary IP and information being uh, being made available. So I think we want to make sure, and we're obviously advising clients very closely on this, making sure that that's done um, in a you know in a secure. Uh, closed environment. I do think having a co-pilot does scare me a little bit because all of a sudden I could be a lot more efficient than I am. Exactly. <laughs> um, you touched on something I just wanted to pick up on. You talked about um, use cases, regulation, the sort of the global nature of some of the considerations because we are working in an increasingly globally sort of connected world. Um, but new disruption presents new opportunities and if we sort of kind of sit back in the UK, how does the UK, what do we need to do in the UK to remain at that sort of cutting edge and at the front and forefront of technology? Mm. Well, as you can imagine, Bina, this is a topic I, uh, <laughs> I discuss I very regularly with the politicians. So, um, and actually, I think, you know, there's many things in the UK that we're very strong at, right? We have a, uh, we have a strong history of R&D um, and research here. We've got wonderful pharmaceutical companies. We have a great startup um, uh, ecosystem. Yep. Um, and we also have a great base of skill um, and capability, even if we don't have enough of it. Um, but actually, I would say, you know, whether we have the right um, regulatory environment in order to really thrive, and if we think about what that competitive landscape will look like, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, fairly simple regulation that's now been initiated in the US and in the EU, that might be a place that we started strong, um, but you won't keep going on that. Yeah. And I mean, at the top, one of the topics I push very heavily um, in partnership with the government is to say, if you think about the provision of skill um, and capability, <clears throat> we're all fighting for the next person that has the greatest skill. And we haven't really thought from the ground up as to how we go and do that. And if you think about innovations like AI, you know, the skills that the kids are being taught in the school today certainly won't be certainly won't be the jobs of tomorrow. So you need something that's much more of a lifelong learning. You need innovation in the levy. You need all of that stuff in order to in order to be able to thrive. And I think you also have to, and it's tough for the governments right now, which is why it has to be done in partnership with business, because you know, even as a, as a leader in technology, I find it hard to keep up with what's going on. Yeah. So if you imagine everything from the education institutes to the, um, you know, to the uh, foundations that we rely on, like the healthcare service, which is struggling for money, to how you think about what the world of work is going to look like in the next five to 10 years. It's quite hard to have an environment where the regulation is going to keep up with that. And so that's why I think partnerships between uh, between governments and businesses is going to be very important. And we're going to have to have something that's a bit more iterative um, as we go through, sort of underpinned by a, by a strong foundation for an, uh, a government framework and environment that does inspire um, uh, startups and innovators uh, because I guess if they're faced with a choice you know it's quite easy to go and invest in the EU or go and invest in the US or whatever and I think that's the thing that we collectively have to help the government with. Yeah I think you know you, you hit the nail on the head iterative it is an iterative process because we're all trying to work out what does the new world look like because yeah. we're sort of pivoting into this new sort of world of work the way we do business technology um, and I just wanted to pick up on you talked about collaboration between part um, government and business mm. um, I think something I don't know if, it's, if this is something that I got right, but 30,000 organizations you partner with? Yes, that's right. right. I mean, yeah. okay, I can't even imagine how that works. But 30, that's just in the UK. That's being, in the UK, yeah. 30,000 yeah, organizations yeah. that Microsoft partners with. So when we talk about collaboration at the, in, in the business world uh, across sector, how do you see that could work? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we have um, 
in a way, I'm blessed with this vector of being able to yeah. look at sort of what we refer to as the ecosystem of the UK. And we have, as you say, you know, 30,000 technology companies. Wow. Think of it from everything from a new startup that's just got this great idea about AI that wants to use Microsoft technology, right up to the scale of global partnerships like the like we have with KPMG. So we have this full vector across every industry, every category of technology, security companies, to data companies, to collaboration companies. And so <clears throat> I often think we represent the sort of the desires of the tech industry quite well, because it's not just Microsoft, it's actually yeah. the ecosystem that we support. Pretty much in every customer that we work with, um, we, it is a combination of Microsoft, our technology partners, a client or multiple clients. Our, our, our modus operandi is, is, one of, um, is one of, you know, innovation by design, because you're trying to think about how do technology, a big technology com company come together? What's the innovation that some of these smaller companies will play? Um, what outcomes are you trying to drive? And then many of those customers have other clients that they're trying to work yeah. with. And so the actual, the ecosystem that you impact um, is quite significant. So I am a, I'm a massive fan, if you get it right, of like collaborative partnerships to solve different business problems, because if you get the best of skill set from that set of individuals. And you imagine if you're trying to work on a technology innovation to solve climate science, like there's, there's expertise that Microsoft will bring from a tech standpoint, but there might be a startup with a really great idea. There will be energy companies that have much greater expertise in what they're trying to solve for. And then we're both pushing together in partnership with the government in order to solve something or push on regulation, et cetera. And that will, that will hopefully uh, create that iterative thing I was talking yeah. about earlier on, which provides more innovation and opportunity to the UK. And you know, I used to work um, a lot with technology companies and working with these disruptors who help disrupt the large organizations which need to disrupt in order to, to grow and be more inclusive. It is an ecosystem, but the reach is, it's really, it's quite astounding to watch how that reach of collaboration how far it goes yeah and it's right. not even just in the country no. it's in the region you know it's not in cities it's in the regions it's in it's overseas as well so claire through the pandemic you know we saw how technology turbocharged the, the adoption of digital tools you know we saw it when we you know we all turned to teams oh, literally overnight but how do you think that's going to evolve and continue as we go forward into the new hybrid world yeah i mean listen i talked about this sort of new world of work and um you know i think Companies went from being very uh, analog, if I could call it that way, where there was a very described pattern for the way that they would work, the, the way that they would operate, often much more sort of manual and, um, and physical connection, uh, manual paperwork and physical connection, if you sort of go back pre-COVID times. And I, I think now uh, organizations are, um, are sort of working through, like, what does workplace mean, if I sort of use the place word, because... If you think, Bina, when we first met, I, I only knew Bina in this little square on Teams. That was sort of how I engaged with you through the, yeah. you know, the CBI um, exec forums that we sit on. And uh, but now, if you think of the last couple of years since we've met, we bump into each other sort of all over the place. And and again, you're, it's because we've got joint clients, we're connecting with government, we're doing whatever. So I think but I do think that people appreciate some of the lessons that they gained from COVID in the way they work. So both, you know, the, the collaboration platforms like Teams and a way of working in a more connected way, in a connected environment. They also appreciate in their personal lives some of the flexibility that not, not being in the office, yeah. um, you know, every day of the week 
um, uh, brings to them because it gives them a bit of more choice in the way they do that. But I would say that leaders themselves are sort of wrestling with what does, um, you know, what does workplace mean? Uh, whether that be physically, are they assessing their real estate? What does that look like? Right through to, if you think about the next generation of employees, what is their expectation? And if you have hired people and a lot of them like working from home and working through teams, then how do you create a sense of belonging? How do you create a sense of connection? How do you retain the very best talent? Because if you were looking at a screen here for one company or here for another company, the, the experience may not be that different. It's what leadership does to wrap around that, to make it feel like, well, how are you going to create moments where you bring people into the office? How are you going to create moments of collaboration with clients? I and mean, I would say on the topic of clients, I actually built a lot of very good relationships um, during COVID and they were all online. Um, and actually, I, you know, certainly in a sort of breadth of engagement, I did, you know, I leveraged it uh, very well. But I found that you don't, you didn't get as much depth through that. And so the complementary nature of being able to engage face to face and meet people has been a wonderful change to that. And so I think as people think about um, how are they going to create sustainable growth uh, for their organizations, they're wrestling through um, how to create a place and a network and a connection, you know, using technology and using physical connection that means that they can be more competitive, more differentiated um, than others. But I, I do feel for the years to come, this is gonna be one of those perennial, uh, perennial dilemmas uh, for leaders. And you'll see pe leaders have been, and people are trying, oh, now you need to come back five days a week. Oh no, you don't need to be at the office at all. And I think they're just, they're just playing with it. But I'm, you know, the underpinning nature of it is, are you creating an environment that has a really strong culture, is inclusive, has got emotional connection with the employees, and how you're using technology really as a way to underpin that yeah. to make people to make employees feel like they're working for the best company on the planet. You know? Yeah. No, but you know what? Coming through COVID, you're absolutely right. We didn't we didn't meet physically, but what what that did allow you to do was to connect with people that were were far away from you that you wouldn't have otherwise met. That's right. And so there is there's a balance, right? There's these sort of face to face and actually capitalising and accelerating those connections that That's you right. wouldn't otherwise be able. Yeah, because maybe catch. we wouldn't have met as quickly as we did if we. Maybe hadn't. We probably wouldn't have. Yeah, so anyway, right. so it was all for the good. All yeah. for the good. Um, just talking about leaders, you did talk about leaders. Um, in in our well, I've been in business 30, 30 years too. So in our in your time um, in the industry, how do you think leadership's changed or, or leadership styles changed? Mm. I mean, hugely. It's um, I think you know if I think back to you know back to your point on sort of inclusive leadership and sustainable growth. If you're going to have leaders that you know promote an environment of inclusive inclusivity to meet this um, goal of sustainable growth you know, this sort of, um, you know, one way uh, growth for profit, et cetera, is something I think that's changed radically since I was a young girl coming into the, coming into the tech industry. And I, you know, there's a couple of things I think that have, that have radically changed. One of them for the good is there's more female representation. Certainly when I started to where there is now, we have a long way to go still on that. Um, but I think, you know, the opportunity for, um, you know, inclusion of all kinds, um, I feel like in all the businesses that I work with, you know, not only are we working to talk about how technology can solve problems, we're often doing diversity and inclusion hacks and yeah. how to think about things differently, etc. Um, so I think 
that that theme and the leadership from people in order to drive that isn't kind of like a little checkbox nice to do. It's like it's a business imperative um, to be able to do that. I think the other the other area that has changed massively, and I, you know, there's still areas of improvement here too. But I think this notion uh, that the best leaders are ones that lead with um, empathy, um, humility, and inclusion. Um, you know, the empathy one in particular. I you know. There's a lot written about sort of empathetic leadership and how you lead with empathy. And probably in my the early parts of my career, that might have been seen as like a weakness. Um, and now it's seen as a superpower. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, we're lucky to have a, a very empathetic, a hu a humble uh, leader in, in Satya. And actually, he's been an amazing coach to many of us to set the standards for kind of how do you really, really think about um, you know, leading with empathy um, and and leading with vulnerability, actually. And um, we have a wonderful framework for all of our managers at Microsoft, which is around a uh, mo simple model. It's model, coach, and care. Um, model meaning, you know, you have to lead, role model and lead from the front. Um, <clears throat> coach, I hope, things stands for itself. But the care one was one that got quite a lot of debate going on at Microsoft because it isn't like, you know, if you're a manager, you have to go and hug your employees. Feel free to do so in, in an inclusive way, of course. But, uh, but actually, it's caring for them as a whole person, like the 360 person, um, caring for them when their performance isn't as good, caring for them when their performance is great, and caring for how they are going to make um, a valued contribution to society and how they're going to really have the best impact in, in what they do, you know, both as a person as, and, and, as, and as a business person. So um, that, that framework has worked, has worked really well for us. And if you think about the kind of leaders that that grows and develops and what's rewarded uh, for being a great manager and a great leader at Microsoft, I hope that sort of em em emphasizes in a way what's changed over the decades I've worked in it business. It explains a lot about the people I meet. Yeah. And I think it makes people relatable, human. Mm. Um, what a lovely model. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd like to turn to you, if that's okay. Okay. So if uh, you could go back in time to share a bit of advice to the young Claire, what would that be? Oh, it seems like a long time ago now. You know, I think something about, um, you know, Often when I'm asked this question uh, amongst employees, they often say like, well, you know, how do I navigate this or what should I do? And I often talk to them about like, you know, dreaming big and not, not believing that anything's impossible. I think when I was my younger self, I had a lot of limiting beliefs about what was, what was achievable. Um, you know, and I say that in like career, life, planet style, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. What, what actually is achievable. Um, and I think I often thought in, um, wow, I've made it to Microsoft. Maybe, you know, that's that's the end. And so I think it's through, you know, the some of the change in leaders that I have had the, you know, the blessed of working with that have sort of opened up my horizons about like, wow, dream big was quite small in my early rounds and I have to I have to dream bigger. Um, and I, you know, in one of um, Satya's books on uh, Hit Refresh, he talks a lot about one of the principles we talk a lot about Microsoft, which is about growth mindset. And yeah. so I think this sort of dream big means that you have to unshackle these limiting beliefs. Um, and I see it a lot in young girls, but I also see it in young men too. Sometimes they don't state it, but they have it. Um, and so I think the thing that I 
think about, you know, if we imagine a world being in 30 years time with the next generation coming through, think about how the world of work is going to change. Think about how innovations like AI are going to f fundamentally change the way of work. And if we all get it right, it will be um, it will be a society with greater social mobility, more opportunity for all. Uh, it will be a world where technology is <clears throat> is a daily co-pilot to everybody. Um, and it will be an, it will be a world where, you know, the young Claire Barclay uh, coming through will have already believed that she can dream big. She won't have limiting beliefs um, and she will believe that she can be part of changing the world. You are changing the world. And you know what? It's really inspiring to hear you talk like that because I think you're absolutely right. People um, with the social mobility, with access, you've talked about inclusivity, you've talked about society. You know, if we can really make a place for everybody in what we do, um, you know, we'll all be better off, right? So for that's sure. lovely. For sure. Um, you're clearly a very busy lady already with the role you have and you've got you know relatively young children although i'm sure teenagers are quite um self-sufficient um what sustains you how do you sustain yourself and keep yourself sane yeah i mean <clears throat> having focus on I mean, children do keep you grounded uh, they really do um but yeah i uh, you know life is busy um in this job and so i think finding you know one of the things i often talk about is actually trying to find time for myself. I'm an active practicer of yoga. I have, a, I have two uh, crazy uh, Hungarian Vizsla dogs. So I walk with them. Um, and actually just um, one of the, we were coached recently about the importance of, um, you know, not just breathing and fresh air, but actually nature. And that sounds a bit sort of um, out there to put as part of this interview, but actually, you know, when you're under a lot of pressure and you're dealing with a lot of uh, crazy multitasking in, the, in these jobs, um, just having a time where whatever it is, whether it's an hour's yoga, an hour's walking, um, or even just, you know, doing homework with the children or whatever, trying to have a little break from it, because I don't know about you being there, but work is always there <laughs> and there's always a lot of it to go around. So I think just making sure yeah. I've got I've got a bit more selfish with making time for me. Um, and, you know, one of the things I'll talk to my team about is kind of like, what does the balance look like in my week? And it doesn't always look great, but as long as I have things that in there that give me energy um, and then I've got I'm finding time to make time um, for myself, I find that sort of lifts me and I can be a better leader, um, a better leader to others. Look, this has been an incredible interview. I've really enjoyed it. I always do. I always enjoy chatting to you. Um, I just want to just sum up what I've taken away. I love your, your mission and you talked about every in planet and I think that's really, really important. And you also talked about surplus of opportunity, surplus of wealth and opportunities, which is a lovely way of looking at how we can give back yeah. as organisations. You talked about the importance of tech and it, most importantly, in terms of how we keep people connected and feeling belong, you know, that they belong to an organisation. So we talked about culture, inclusivity, we talked about emotional connection, which actually we saw firsthand, right? And we want to keep that alive as we move forward. You've talked about leadership, you've talked about purpose, you've talked about responsible leadership. Again, I think leadership styles have changed and I love your three emotion, you know, empathy, humility and inclusion. What a lovely, lovely trio to bring it together. But most importantly, I think we should leave our audience with the importance of technology because it is the driver of innovation. It's going to dictate and shape the world we're living in and working in and, you know, aspire to do. Uh, and it's going to solve the biggest complex issues that we're facing into. So I think I've summed up what I've taken away from this. I'm sure there's much more that I've missed off, but thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Bina. It's been a pleasure.
Thanks for joining me today on Pull Up A Chair, whether you're at home, at work or somewhere in between. I do hope you'll join me next time for more insights from business leaders and thinkers on how to unlock sustainable growth that delivers to the needs of people, planet and profit. Goodbye.